0: God, we thank you for um, this beautiful building. We thank you for uh, the ability to worship and study your word freely in this country, God. And There's a lot of believers around the world who do not have um, that safety, Lord. I pray that you would be with uh, our persecuted brothers and sisters across the world, God. I pray that you would be with uh, our friends and family who are going through sicknesses and in trials and tribulations, uh, physically or mentally or spiritually, Lord, uh, I pray that you would just be with, uh, be with Mike in this time. That you would speak through him, uh, and by by him to us, Lord. Work in this time, God. We ask you. Uh, we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as we've kind of been doing the last few weeks, um, we're gonna just start out with uh, a separate passage. Um, Mike's asked me to read, in this case, Luke 18, verses 18 through 23, if you guys want to flip there or scroll there. Um, But it's about the rich young ruler. So Luke 18, verse 18 says A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard him, heard this, he told him, You still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich."
1: If you guys want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick back up this morning with that text from Luke 18 kind of on our hearts and our minds. um, Just that thought process. Turn with me to Matthew 6 beginning in verse 19 as we continue through this middle section and as we transition um, here in Matthew 6 to a, a different approach by Jesus. He's going to direct his gaze in a different area of our lives. And as we consider that, a short story about my life that will amuse you. (laughs) i had been playing guitar for less than a year when I was—I jumped on board with a missions trip that was going to Mexico. I was about 15 years old. And I mean, I I say playing guitar for less than a year. It was probably closer to six months that I've been playing guitar. And at that point, um, I don't know if they just grossly overestimated my ability because I was not a child prodigy when it came to music, um, they asked me to lead worship for the trip. And I didn't realize that that entailed not only leading for all of our meetings going down there, but also for the churches in Mexico that we were going to be visiting. I'd be leading worship there. And that when we came back, at that time I was in a rather large church that I would be standing in front of the entire congregation there leading worship there. I completely killed it. Um, first, first strum. On my first song, I shot the pick of my guitar into the sound hole, <laughs> plink, and uh, continued so nervously to keep the tempo and keep things going, even though I, I, I was just a mess after that, that I shredded all the skin off of my first finger within the first song. And and uh, I don't think that's what the, the guy meant when he said, played until my fingers bled, because it was a real mess. It was a real mess. And and I'm sure God was glorified. Um. But it was then I, I discovered a whole new understanding of taking the difficulty of what you've practiced in private and bringing it into the public sphere. And any of you that have stood up here before, any of you that have played a, an instrument in front of people, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's very different to privately practice something, but then to bring it into the public eye and have it be on display. It's a little nerve wracking. It's a little scary at times. It's difficult to stay focused. A lot of times we leak sweat from everywhere. It's very different to have your righteousness or something you've practiced on the inside be put on display in front of people, come out through your life. It's a whole different scenario. And for three sections in the beginning of Matthew 6, we study what Jesus taught regarding our private lives. He talked about how we give, how we should keep that secret and let the Lord reward us in his way. He talked about prayer, how we should pray in secret, how we shouldn't pray in the public square to be noticed by people, but but to be a person who prays and lets that private relationship with God come out through our lives naturally. And then we talked about fasting last week, how we shouldn't smear ash over our faces like the Pharisees of his day, but rather wash your face, don't draw attention to yourself, do what you do for the glory of God, and as private worship to him. In other words, worship God in private. And let everything else work itself outwards. What's interesting is in no way is Jesus condemning praying in front of people. In no way is he condemning that we be generous to people in a way that they might even know that we're being generous to them. But the purpose of heart is what Jesus calls our attention to. What's the heart behind what you do? What's the heart condition behind your religiosity, if you will? And so as he continues to draw our attention to that, the three beginning sections of Matthew 6 focused on the inward. They focused on our private lives. And now moving from the private, which would be giving, praying, and fasting, Jesus teaches on our public business in the world. Now he's going to address issues such as money, possessions, food, drink, clothing, even our ambition. If you're not uncomfortable yet, you will be. Because these are things that we interact with in our daily lives, and many of us struggle with making idols out of. And so now Jesus is going to talk about the public business that we have in the world this morning We're going to look at three sets of twos in between matthew chapter 6 verses 19 and 24 I'll kind of outline them for you here We'll read the text and we'll go back and break each one down But the three sets of twos are these we're going to talk about two treasures on earth and in heaven we're going to talk about two ways to see light and darkness and we're going to talk about two masters God and money. So let's read the text in its entirety, and then we'll break this down together, shall we? Jesus continues in his sermon, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. The location of treasures, as we look at the first set of two, we talk about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. The location of the treasures or valuables Jesus is talking about here is the key to understanding their worth. The key to understanding the worth of your treasure is where it is, where it's stored up, where it's kept. Anything that's limited to being stored solely upon earth is corruptible. And because of that, it's insecure. You're like, oh, my stuff is insecure. Technically, yes. I, it's funny. I knew a, a gal when I was, I was younger. Um, she was one of my best friend's moms, and, and she would never lock the doors to her house. She always left the doors open. like uh, Not like open, open, but unlocked. And, and for me, a kid coming from Southern California when I was little, everything was locked. We had the club. Do you guys remember the club? Who remembers the club? Oh, right. You know that thing you put in your steering wheel and you can't steal? It was so weird to me because I didn't get it as a kid. I didn't get how the club worked, and I realized you can't turn the steering wheel with that big bar sticking there. Sorry, I, I I digress. But we locked everything. We And to me as a kid, the reason I bring that is like, we even locked our steering wheels. It meant that you couldn't steal the car. But to me, I was like, we don't want anyone taking our steering wheels. The club matters. We locked everything. And so it was really foreign to me to talk to someone who didn't do that. And her reasoning behind it was, well, if anyone wants any of our earthly possessions, they can take it. I I appreciated that about her. I don't adopt the same philosophy myself, and it's not because I want to keep my stuff. It's because I, I feel like I need to do what I can to protect my family. Um, but she had a totally different point of view on that, and it was kind of cool. Also, she was fierce, and I don't think that anyone would have ever taken anything from her. So I think there was some there was some you know some logical reasons to be like yeah no one would ever touch my stuff. But you guys understand that like we, we spend so much of our time acquiring and trying to find ways to lock down our stuff, secure our stuff. And if it's stored here, if it's stored here on earth, it, it's it's something that moths can eat. It's something that rust can destroy. It's something that thieves can break in and steal. These are all realities of a sinful world. And if the things or things that we treasure are tethered to this world, then why do we put so much value in them? Why do we long for them so much? Why do we plan so much to have them, to acquire them, and to grow in these ways? They're not worthy of our heart's desire. And Jesus says it very plainly. Where your treasure is is where your heart is. How many of us have hearts that are in our savings account? Or if you don't have a savings account, the car that's in the driveway that took all the money from your savings account, especially now with what car rates are doing, it's going to cost you a lot more. But you think about this. What is the object of our affection? Where is our treasure? Is our, where's our heart? Yet so often we get swept into the acquisition of things mentality. If only I had that, I'd be happy. My phone's a piece of garbage. If I could just get the iPhone 13. All of it would be coming together. Finally. Finally. Do you know what's going to happen next year? You have said so. The iPhone 14. That's going to happen next year. And do you know what you're going to want? Not your crummy 13 that you dropped on the rocks four times. You're going to need something new. Something better. Do you ever notice you buy a shirt and it's the best shirt in the world until you get a new shirt? And then you use the old shirt for all the things you don't like. You know, water on the floor when you're in the shower and you're... Using your shirt to dry it up. That was your baby! That was your precious! And now it's just used for drying up the water on the floor. Why? Because none of the things that we acquire in this life are going to satisfy us. It's just stuff, it's all perishable. It's hard not to watch Christian do his little motions like throwing the phone on the ground. Don't do that. It's a tool. You can use it. It's amoral, it's not immoral. Depends on how you use it. It can be very immoral if you let it be. You don't have to buy, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, a can of rust to finish off your car when you're done with it. Do you notice that? Can of rust. You don't see it anywhere, do you? You know, you don't have to go out and buy a broken part and install it in your washing machine. That would be weird. But like, you don't have to go do these things. Why? Because things naturally break on their own. It's all deteriorating. It's all breaking. My aunt broke this morning. Right before worship. God has a good sense of humor. It's like, Mike, you trust in your amplifier too much. Done. Now you'll trust in me. And oftentimes he reveals idols that way. Doesn't he? He reveals that we have an idolatry problem because we long or look to something so much to be our rock. And Jesus says, I am the chief cornerstone. I am the one by which you measure everything else. Decay and brokenness are going to happen as long as the Lord tarries. And if our most precious valuables can be taken from us, then we have an idolatry problem. If the most precious thing to you can be taken from you, you have an idolatry problem. It should not be the most precious thing. Jesus is the most precious person in the world that our hearts ought to belong to everything else that we have been given here is a gift and is to be stewarded as such it's a gift god's given you what you have how are you stewarding those resources for his kingdom for his glory that's why we've been given these things tim keller said an idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate that's really good an idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate. We take something that God has given to us and we make it the only thing, the thing that matters most. And Jesus says, don't fill your stores with treasures such as these. The things of this earth have been given to us to steward by God, Psalm 24, one: The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. You notice something about this? You can get idolatrous about your family. You can get idolatrous about your spouse. You can get idolatrous about your pastor. (gasps) Sorry, Mike did. (gasps) He said it from the pulpit. Don't be idolatrous with your pastor. Worship Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's what I'm doing. That's my goal. But you know, oftentimes I catch myself raising up idols, caring more about what something else I can get Means to me or what someone else's opinion means to me more than what God thinks more than what God has called me to do. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. The psalmist writes, everything that you see belongs to the Lord. It's not about possessions. Possessions is delusion. You don't possess anything. You steward. I steward. This room we are called to steward. The people in our lives we're called to steward and care for. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't be wise with our finances. He's not saying not to have a savings account. He's not forbidding having property or even having a life insurance policy. In fact, Scripture praises the ant. Oftentimes more than it praises us. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. Don't you love Proverbs? It's so easygoing. It's so gentle. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. What's the, the writer of Proverbs? I would contend heavily it's Solomon. What's he saying? Be smart with what you have. Be smart about it. Apply wisdom to your life. Don't be the person that spends all your money and is like God will provide. He did. You spent it. You're like, well, I thought he'd provide more. Well, I thought he provided a brain. And I, I think that that's what should be used here. And, oh, I'm not ripping on people. I'm just saying he's given us all our faculties. Has he not? Didn't he give us a mind and, and a logical way of thinking as well as a spiritual awareness of his presence to meld together, to put together, to let your faith and your relationship with him give you wise, applicational sense? If you want to understand common sense lived out in a spiritual way, read the Word of God. Read the scriptures. It's in the text. Go to the ant. Look at how these, these little these little guys running around on the ground who like to invade my house don't even have a leader to do so. They just do it on their own. But they're getting work done. Until some jerk kid comes on and goes <laughs> And then realizes that they were fire ants. Did that as a kid. Did it once. Just once. No, then I just threw scorpions into their pile. So the things of this earth, you guys. I grew up in the high desert. The things of the earth are used for God's glory. They're not to be hoarded and stored for self. However, wisdom is still to be applied. And it is always more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus taught us. But I think that the realization really gets summarized well by Job. Job lost everything. Job had it made. He was a man who was honoring God with his life and God allowed the enemy to strip him of everything all the way down to his comfort, all the way down to his physical state. And Job said in Job chapter 1, verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What God has given is a gift. And if God takes it away, it was his anyway. Boy, Church of America, we would do well to learn this. We would do really well to adopt this biblical understanding that what we have is just stuff. What matters most is Jesus our King, is glorifying the Lord. Jesus says, rather than storing treasures here, fill your stores in heaven with treasures that cannot be eaten by Rust or moths, or be stolen by thieves. John Stott says it so well. We may say that to lay up treasure in heaven is to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. There's our priorities. Do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. I fear for myself that oftentimes I get caught up in doing things that are just temporal, that are just earthly. And in church, we need to hold each other accountable, not condemning, accountable to walk together in love and to live lives that actually prioritize the treasures in heaven, doing things on this earth whose effects last for eternity. We should value and increase our faith, our hope, and our love over our increase of wealth, over acquisition, the salvation of others rather than to desire for worldly acquisition? Do I care about the souls of the people that I'm spending time with more than I care about the money that I'm trying to gain from this job? More than I care about the thing I want to acquire? Do I care about lives? Do I care about my community? Or am I just trying to find a better position within it? The greatest treasure, according to Paul, is to know Jesus. The greatest treasure for him was to know Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Jesus has made all the earthly possessions pale in comparison In fact, Paul says in verse 8, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you notice that Paul says knowing? In knowing him, even just the pursuing of knowing Jesus is more valuable than anything he could acquire. For where your treasure is, that your heart will be also, Jesus says. Jesus' heart is so for us that he died for us. What is my heart willing to do for him? If the heart of Christ was to die for people who are dead in their trespasses and sin, what is my heart willing to do for him, for his namesake? It's a question we must all ask ourselves. And ask the Lord for strength to do what he's called us to do. Let's look at the second set of two. This is verses 22 through 23. Two ways to see light and darkness. Jesus continues, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? For us to understand how these two verses connect and correlate, you can can read them and be like, it's weird. He shifted to this whole thing about the eyes and light and how does that affect treasures and where I'm storing them? We have to see it from the viewpoint of the culture of Jesus's time. Uh, Sky Sky Jatani writes about this a little bit um, in a book that he wrote. He says, in the ancient world, it was thought that light passed out of the body through the eyes. The perception was that light came from within and then passed out of the body through your eyes. In our culture, that's very weird for us because we look at it from a more scientific point of view of light coming into our eyes. That's how we perceive things as light comes in and that's how we see. But in the ancient world, they saw it as coming from within and light passing out of your eyes. And so in light of that, Jesus is referencing this common idea to say the way we see the world is an indication of what's inside of us. The way we see the world indicates the stature and the positioning of our hearts. In other words, depending on the condition of my heart, I'm going to view the world with a righteous perspective, that would be light, or I'm going to view it with an evil or wicked perspective, that would be darkness. Darkness. Isn't it interesting to think of it from the cultural point of view as light coming from within and going out the eyes because it connects to everything that Jesus has taught about thus far in chapter six, dealing with the issues of the heart. No wonder Jesus wants to get our hearts right, because if my heart's right, I'm going to view the world through his eyes. I'm going to see it through his light. And so how I view this world needs to be a heavenly perspective. It needs to be from the point of storing up my treasures in heaven because that's where my heart is. And that light is going to illuminate the situations I look at and give me discernment. It's going to give me discernment on how to handle those things. Not only is it beneficial for us to understand the durability of treasures in heaven, but having that vision from a heart that sees the world through his light transforms us into his kingdom people here. And isn't that what we've already prayed in Matthew chapter six, our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Do you know how his kingdom comes here and now? through the hearts and minds of his people who have been transformed into his image. The kingdom of God is the church. We are people here living a kingdom lifestyle as exiles in a very sinful world. And so our lifestyles must look different. But it's not about dressing up and playing church better. It's about letting him reform and reshape and cleanse our hearts so that we see through the light of his truth the situations that we face in this world. Because if I'm looking at my at the world around me, if I'm looking at the community or my family that's around me and I don't have his purposes and his will in my heart, I'm going to see through the eyes of darkness. How many of you in the last year and a half have really struggled with depression because of what's been going on? How many of you have been struggling with these negative thoughts and with struggles in your marriage and struggles in your families because of this, the atmosphere and the situations around you? Our heart is the source of the problem. It's the root of the issue. It's not because, well, if COVID wasn't here, I'd be in a perfectly fine mood. If these people would learn how to drive, if they'd stop moving into my neighborhood, Right? We look at all the outside factors and we're like, if these things would change, then I would be a better Christian. The only way we can be a Christian is to be a new creation. Amen? The only way to be a true Christian is to be a new creation. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians. And indeed, when we have given our lives to Christ, we are a new creation. We don't have to be bound to the old way of thinking. And I can let his light pour out of my heart, through my eyes, and I start seeing people the way he sees them. I start loving the prostitute and the tax collector. I start getting more concerned about my neighbors than I am about my stuff. You guys, these are the changes that he wants to work from us from the inside out. But we have to let our hearts be molded and shaped by him. We have to become true image bearers and see the world through the light that he gives us. And so Jesus says it so clearly. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your perspective is from God's perspective, not only is it going to change how you view them, your whole body will be full of light. It's going to change you continually. It's going to renew you continually, give you perspective. Our recognition of the insecurity of earthly material will not only beget a whole new investment mentality, but a whole new outlook on life. It's going to change how we view our stuff. It's going to change how we view the world. finally, going to change how we view whom we serve look at verse 24 two masters god and money verse 24 says no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money behind the choice of two treasures and two visions is the basic choice between two masters it's fascinating to think about, and I think it's it's interesting to note for us that the idea of having two bosses is something that we understand in this life. I worked for Little Debbie Snack Cakes. I was a very popular youth pastor as I transitioned from my my you know work world into youth ministry. I was the youth pastor who had all the donuts. So I was popular. Um and, and so I transitioned from a place where I had. 30, at one point, 35 bosses. Because I served all these accounts. We're talking Walmarts, Wincos, all this type of stuff. I served all these accounts, so I had 35 bosses who had expectations of me. Some of them I would never achieve. They wanted me to split the atom. I told them all I had was Swiss rolls. Um, But it's interesting to me how... We, we can understand having all these bosses and we're like, well, I mean, is it really that big of a deal if I, you know, multitask a bit and I have a little bit of money over here? That's kind of my little secret stash. That's for me time. And then I can serve God on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and maybe a home group or two. Can we really separate those things? Well, Jesus puts it in perspective of his culture and his time and it makes sense for us. No man, no woman c- can serve Two masters. Understand the rules of servitude. You didn't have two masters. You had one master. Masters didn't share servants. Right? You have one master. And Jesus says, look at it through the eyes of your culture. You belong to one. You can't belong to both. You have to choose. While we understand that we could work for two employers, no servant can have two masters. And every day in this world, we witness those who choose to serve the created over the creator. They think they're serving two, but they're not. It's like Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. And they're serving anything but God. Anything created besides him. It seeps into the church too. It's not just outside the walls. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We've seen it in many different ways. For pastors, ministry can become the master rather than the Lord who commissioned the ministry to the pastor. Production can become the priority over prayer. Things, acquisition of things, lights and Not that these things aren't necessary tools, but they're not the main thing. They're not the point. They're things that we could do without and be just fine. In prayer before service, we were thanking God together and chuckling that the Lord took us from a a very small room, concrete floors and a bathroom that we were just fine meeting in and put us in here. and the, The change is just different. And it's noticeable. It's like, wow, it's really hard to share one toilet with all these people on a Sunday morning. It's just a challenge. It's doable. But for some people, it's really uncomfortable. And God has blessed us with this, but you know what's crazy? We don't need this. We, we get to use this as a blessing from God. What we need is His presence. What we need is the power and the work of God in our hearts and lives. That's what we must have. That's what we need. We don't need more production. We don't need more possession. Jesse Reeves said it really well several times in sessions that I sat in. Christian's already smiling because he's heard him say this as well. He was standing in a really large church. Jesse Reeves uh, is a a pastor, but he was uh, Chris Tomlin's bass player for like 10 years. Um, very accomplished musician. He left it all behind to become the kids ministry coordinator at his church because he felt like God told him to do it. I love that. So instantly I'm like, you have my attention when he speaks. But he was standing in this massive church, and he points back at this like, incredible stage, all of this musical equipment, and he's like, you don't need all this. You don't need this. And he went on to say this. He goes, we don't need more production meetings. We need more prayer meetings. We don't need to talk about more programs. We need to pray more together. And if we start having more prayer meetings than production meetings, we're going to see the spirit of God move. We're going to see the Lord be glorified. We need to be settled into the heart of God for our community. And for that to happen, we must pray and we must be a people that recognizes that we are very tempted by idolatry, especially in our culture, especially in American culture. God can provide all the finances we need, but all the finances in the world cannot connect us with the heart of God. You can't buy his affection. You can't buy his favor. We have been given his favor freely in Jesus. Amen? You didn't have to save up for that. While you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for us. We can't take any credit for that. It's why he's worthy of our worship and our praise. It's why we have to serve God and nothing else because all the money in the world can't save us when the final day comes that he wrote for my life. That day that he penned in my life, this is the end for him. Psalm 139 says that he has all the days of my life written in his book. It's funny because I try to take a peek every now and then. So, um, When's the last one, huh? Sometimes I think it's coming for me when that semi-truck changes lanes. But you know what? God knows. He knows the last day of my life. It's written in his book. And all the money in the world can't save me then. All the possessions in the world, all the things that I tend to serve can't save me then. The only one who can save me, the only one who is worthy of my service, of my life, of everything that I can possibly bring is God. Because of what he did for us in Christ. So we may devote ourselves to God. And my prayer is that we will worship him with our lives. That our treasure will be knowing him. And that his righteous view of this world will become our sight. And that we would, because of Jesus, hear the words, well done. I want to hear the Lord say, well done. There's a lot of people that I thought I wanted to hear those words from more. But I'm so thankful that as my life has gone on, the Lord's changed my heart to really just be that. I just want to hear him say it. If he says, well done, that's enough. That's enough for me. In him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Let's bow our heads. Let's thank Jesus together. Worship team. Come on up. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for taking our place. Lord, thank you for purchasing us with your blood. With our eyes closed, with our our heads bowed, come to Jesus. All of you who are weary and burdened, he offers you rest. He's lowly and he's humble of heart. It is only in him that you'll find rest for your souls. If you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, this moment right now is your opportunity. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In your heart right now, with your focus completely upon Him, call His name. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to cleanse you and make you new. Recognize that you have fallen short. Receive the free gift of grace that God offers through the shed blood of Jesus. For there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. If you've prayed this morning, if you're watching online, if you're in this room and you've prayed to receive Jesus, I want to encourage you to tell someone. To talk to somebody here this morning if you're present. To come talk to me, to let one of the the elders pray for you. Let us know how we can encourage you, but Lord, as we take this moment, God, I pray that we would together as a church, just for a moment, focus our attention on praying for the lost souls of those around us. Maybe there are some in this room, maybe there's some in our lives, our family, our friends, our co-workers. that we would take this moment to pray for them and that where they are right now, you would call to them and that they would hear you. Lord, for a Christian, it's one of the most difficult things that we wrestle with to think that there are people that we love and care about that won't know you. That if they died right now, Lord, they'd be separated from you forever. And Lord, if it breaks our hearts, how much more does it break yours? And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at them through your eyes, through the light that you've given us, that we would cry out on their behalf now. Let's take a moment. Let's keep our heads bowed. Let's continue in a place of prayer and just ask the Lord to reach the lost in our lives through us, through his word, however he chooses to do this work. We recognize that this is a work of the spirit that we long for. Let's take a moment and pray and then
0: we'll sing together.